Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of DEI After Five. So if you have followed me for any time, you know that my career started in higher education um, and working in diversity, equity, and inclusion in the Office of Multicultural Affairs way back when. So as I've transitioned, I've always kept some type of connection to education, higher education and learning and what's going on on campuses. And so lately, I've been reading a lot of articles around what's been happening in Florida and this um, way of trying to dismantle DEI on college campuses. Um, but it's not just happening in Florida. They are really looking at Florida as the blueprint for how to do this in several states. There are up to 13, I believe, states that are interested in how this dismantling of DEI will take place on campuses. So I wanted to have conversation with a couple of folks, some professors that are in higher education that are actually in a program um, at Glasgow Caledonia New York College that um, is focused on DEI and leadership and the impact of this decision in Florida. So join me right now are my guests for today, uh, Gardi Gitto, Dr. Jeffrey Ann Wilder, and Dr. Tammy Hodo. So guests, welcome everyone. Hello, hello. Hello. Good morning. So we have a full house today, so I'm really excited about this conversation. So I wanted to first, for those that may not know you, start with you, Gardy. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, your background, and we'll start there. <laughs> we'll start there. Yeah, absolutely. We'll Sounds great. Yeah, so uh, again, the name is Gardy Gito. I currently serve as the program director of the um, MS in DI Leadership at um Glasgow Caledonia New York College. I have background in higher education as well. And uh, and like you, Sasha, I started this work primarily working with first-generation college students. Um, my graduate degree is in social justice education. And so from there, I was able to lead um, a DI office, the social justice office, and doing that work since then um, professionally and, and consulting as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Welcome. Jeffrey Ann. Hello. So like you, I started, uh, you know, cut my career teeth in higher education, specifically in multicultural affairs as well. Um, so I'm a sociologist and my doctorate's in sociology. I, and this is why I'm so excited about this conversation. I got my sociological training in critical race theory, in black feminist mm. theory, in intersectionality in the state of Florida at the mm -hmm. University of Florida. I finished my, my doctorate there in 2008, then left there and was a professor for 10 years at the University of North Florida in Jacksonville, where this is really ground zero for a lot of this stuff. And I was a faculty member in the Department of Sociology, Anthropology, and Social Work. 
and um, led for four years, launched uh, and ran the Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnic Relations. Um, I am, you know, was lucky enough, fortunate enough to be the program designer for this DEI leadership program. And in my larger day job, work for the National Center for Women and in Information Technology as uh, director of strategic programs for women and girls of color. Really excited about this. Um, thank you so much for having us and looking forward to more conversation. I'm so excited about this. Thank you. Thank you. And I was a sociology major, so I'm feeling you right there too. <laughs> it's Tammy. So I am actually calling in from Ground Zero, Jacksonville, Ooh. Florida. <laughs> I got my start in the diversity, equity, and inclusion field, I think at birth, uh, as I'm a product of a proud uh, biracial marriage. Uh, and so I have been in this field really all my life. I have my doctorate from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee in urban studies with a minor in sociology where I focus on race, class, gender, and ethnicity. I too am a critical race theorist as that was the paradigm mm -hmm. I used for my dissertation to examine the lack of diversity in the profession, specifically in higher ed. Um, as someone who continuously saw one black faculty member in each department, and just really wanted to know how that was, how they were navigating in these very white spaces. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm proud to be a part-time lecturer uh, in the diversity, equity, and inclusion master's program. And I also own my own consulting firm, All Things Diverse. I love it. This is just going to be such a rich conversation. So what I appreciate um, is, you know, Tammy, you and, and Jeffrey Ann being part of Ground Zero. Right, and that perspective of what is truly unfolding here. So, you know, Jeffrey Ann, could you kind of give people a lay of the land for right now? Like, what is happening in Florida um, for those that may not have been keeping up with what's happening? So, essentially, Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida. He is um, at the start of his second term, he is eyeing the White House. Mm -hmm. And I think in his attempt to um, galvanize his base and potentially bring more folks into the fold. He is really pushing, um, snuffing out any fed or excuse me, statewide funding to anything related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is, you know, as we all know, is kind of like this catch all for anything that really sort of, um, lifts up and amplifies systemic, you know, oppression and equities in our, in our society. Right. So, it really is people are saying DEI and critical race theory, but people really don't know what that means. Like we get it. We understand because we have that training and background, but most lay people really don't know what that is. So DeSantis, in an effort to galvanize his base, is trying to stop any type of funding at Florida's colleges and universities. And by the way, he did this uh, in the K-12 system with the passage of, you know, this whole don't say gay law. So this has been happening for a while. Um, so he really is trying to put a, a stronghold as the governor, which really is not his, you know, that's really not his lane. He's really trying to put a stronghold on snuffing out any type of liberal ideologies or really anything that tells the whole story about our nation and our history. And also is trying to, and it basically saying that um, the AP exam in African-American studies has no educational value. So the state of Florida is not going to um, adopt it in any way. So he really has, you know, he like started this, you know, a couple years ago. And Tammy can attest to that by still living there. 
and he has like really put his foot on the gas and trying to kind of snuff out um, anything related to difference and really trying to, you know, hold a mirror up to who we are as a nation. Yeah, thank you. <sighs> Tammy. So I want to, to hear from you, but what is initially coming to my mind before we dive into that is, you know, both you and Carrie Ann, I'm sorry, Jeffrey Ann said that you were um, CRT theorist, mm -hmm. right? Critical race theory has been thrown around. It's, you know, the boogeyman. It's this horrible, horrible thing. It's a theory. So can you explain to folks that may have been hearing um, some of the noise around CRT, can you explain what it is um, so that we have some context around having this conversation? So critical race theory was born out of legal studies. Um, mm -hmm. So Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, and what it was was um, a recognition of the slow implementation of any civil rights policies and laws. And so it's basically putting race, that social construct at the center of the inquiry, you know, whatever you're researching and recognizing that we do have different experiences based on the social construct of race. It is not communism. It is not Marxism, mm -hmm. which is what I continuously hear people say. It is just recognizing that based on that beautiful melanin in our skin, that we do have different experiences and that our history is different due to that. So again, it's putting, you know, the race at the center of your inquiry and recognizing that those experiences have been different. We have not lived in the same America as many other people have because our ancestors were brought over and then enslaved and capitalist and society was basically built off the back of our ancestors. So again, just recognizing when I did my dissertation, I interviewed minority faculty about their experiences at a PWI using critical race theory as the paradigm, because you, how is it as an African-American or a Haitian or someone from the diaspora, your experience at this PWI when you're the only person in this department? Right. And so that's really what it's about is recognizing those differences. It's not saying they're better, they're worse than, it's just acknowledging. The irony of what just, what you just said and what is happening in Florida is just mind blowing because just the simple fact that DeSantis is trying to use law to usurp history of black and brown people is exactly what critical race theory is asking you to look at, right? How is this experience different for us versus anyone else? Um, and so it's just very ironic that he's doing the very thing that he's saying that he doesn't want to be a part of the education. So yeah, it, as you were talking, that, that just kind of like, he's just modeling the behavior of exactly what all of this is about. Guardi, so I want to hear from you in how is this impacting higher education right now? Are you seeing anything um, that's starting to bubble up across the industry, right? I'll just say higher education yeah. as a whole. Are you starting to see the impacts of this? Yeah, well, I mean, part of the reality is that um, folks in higher ed who do this work, right, who do social justice work, who do DI work, who are, um, who've been teaching Black studies, for example, right, 
are literally up in arms uh, about what's happening in Florida and what other states are signaling that they'll be implementing as well. And part of the, the reality and the difficulty, right, is that these programs which started in the civil rights movement, right, um, and, and had their founding in students on college campuses, basically, you know, saying to universities, hey, not only are we not represented, but we need to be represented in the curriculum as well, right? And students, um, I think at San Francisco State back in 69, actually pushed forward um, the need for the founding, right, of Black studies, and Black studies then begot you know, different ethnic studies. And, and part of that also is the same legacy, right, that DI leadership, right, our program comes out of. And so the, the banning of these knowledges is something that folks are um, really both fearful about, but at the same time, I see a lot of, you know, um, folks like um, Kimberly Crenshaw, um, um, e. Patrick and all these folks actually stepping up and saying, hey, we cannot take this laying down. Let's do the work of recasting and re-educating and ensuring that that um, that folks know, you know, as I started saying, that these organizations, these departments are still very much underfunded, right, in colleges and universities. And it's really just as we're starting to get some traction, a little bit of traction that we're seeing this, this intense and major backlash against, right? The, the development of, of the spaces necessary to, to name what has been happening for centuries, right? In our country. And that is um, a, a system that is um, based on race and, and based on inequality and based on arguably anti-Blackness as well. Yeah. Oh, my, there's so many questions in my head right now. You know, so before I, I dive into that, because I don't, I want this to be a very open, honest conversation, right? So, Tammy, tell me how you're really feeling right now about what, what you're seeing unfolding. So I see anti-Blackness. I see um, an attempt to erase us um, mm -hmm. in this society, which is amazing to me, um, considering, you know, um, reality is capitalism was built off the back, you know, mm -hmm. uh, of, of, of slaves, right, who were generational and who were not paid, obviously, um, never received any type of reparations. Mm -hmm. And so it, it makes me very concerned. I see that um, I'm in the state of Florida. You know, when we think of the African-American AP course, his concern was that it had queer theory, intersectionality, and mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter. They removed that um, to appease him. And then the college board actually came back and said, you know, maybe that wasn't the best decision, um, you know, and began to have dialogue with the governor, at which point he said, well, maybe we just won't offer any AP courses in the state of Florida. So it, it, it's like he's having a tantrum tantrum, but mm -hmm. I'm rather intrigued as a multi-ethnic person, considering that he is of Italian descent. And 50 years ago, his people were perceived as less than, and they were discriminated against, and they were not offered opportunities. And so I wonder if some of this is internalized racism um, or hatred towards his own uh, you know, uh, ethnic group that he belongs to. 
So uh, again, this just is very concerning, um, you know, as a business owner, as well as a lecturer, you know, making it where there's no mandatory training. So I'm wondering next, are we going to stop mandatory training towards sexual harassment? You know, we just celebrated, right, 50 years of Title IX, um, you know, and he's very much, again, I feel it's very anti-Blackness, it's very anti-LGBTQI. Um, he wants to believe that this is a meritocracy and that mm -hmm. everything is a colorblind ideology, which we know is, is not valid, is not true, and is just totally incorrect and continues to have substantial impacts on people in America. Yeah, you know, as you were saying that it's kind of what's the phrase around, um, you know, cutting your nose to spite your face or whatever that phrase is and the impact of students in Florida, high school students that may want AP studies in this work. Right. And so they may now be rethinking how they're looking at school or which schools they want to go to in Florida. Florida might now come off of their list totally as an option because they don't offer, you know, because of what's happening right now. So economically, yes, as we're talking about capitalism, I don't even think he's thinking of the greater impact that this could have on the state of Florida. Um, you know, many people are saying that they're not even going to go to Disney in Florida. They'll go to California because of what's happening there. Um, I can personally say, you know, I have timeshare there. I'm thinking of switching it somewhere else. Right. You know, it's, yeah. it's so many different things that the impact of this. Um, Gardy, you look like you wanted to, to jump in. Yeah, No, what you're saying, actually, you know, is, is is bubbling up for me because in some ways I think about, you know, back in the day, we we're talking about, you know, segregation. Right. The South had a certain set of things that were happening below the Mason-Dixon line that black folks knew that when you go to that part of the world, to that part of this country, these are some things that you need to be mindful aware of. And these are things that you weren't going to have access to, right? Yeah. And in many ways, I feel like what is happening, right, is a resegregation re of um, not, not our physical spaces, but of, of what knowledge is allowed where, right? Where all of a sudden, Black knowledge, Black ways of knowing, Black ways of thinking, Black experiences, Black understandings of of our world and making meaning of what has happened in the history of this country and the ways that that history is still very much alive and well in terms of of, of marginalization and and disparities to access is all of a sudden not allowed right to be taught in certain states by law right and a few years ago we saw it happening in public schools k through 12 and we were like, whoa, this is a lot. And there were a lot of conversations about how to intervene and how to you know, support um, faculty right, at those schools. And now it's happening right, in higher education. And arguably higher education you know, is, 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 is the place where we create knowledge, right? where we create our understanding and where we unpack what's happened so that we can not repeat the errors of the past. But all of a sudden, these anti-woke laws are saying that that you know teaching about these issues are not allowed if it's going to make certain people feel uncomfortable, or if it's going to make certain people feel that they are to be you know they they they, they should feel upset about what has happened. Isn't that at the end of the day part of why we educate? 
to actually learn about the things that happened that were not good so that we don't repeat them. So all of this to me is just mind boggling, frustrating, and honestly infuriating because be doing our work as educators is basically saying education is not allowed in different spaces. And so what that's going to mean is that some black folks are going to say like, you know what, maybe going down there for school is not an option for us. Absolutely. Go ahead, Tammy. I see you. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I just, I I think this whole colorblind ideology, we know it's a fallacy. You know, I I think he's very much, as Jeffrey Ann indicated, you know, playing to his base. He has a bigger agenda. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just very concerning, you know, when I know that, you know, when they introduced this AP African-American um, history course for him to say it had no value. It added no yeah. value. If that is not anti-blackness, I don't know what is. I mean, he specifically stated that. And, and it's just very concerning, you know, that we're not going to have conversations surrounding race, gender, and history, history and identity. Um, in the state of Florida now, they do have a requirement, and Jeffrey Ann will be able to speak more about this because I was faculty at UNF as well, but I was a visiting faculty. Jeffrey Ann was there tenured, but they are required in the University of Florida system to take a diversity course. So I taught racial and ethnic minority courses, um, specifically a racial and ethnic minority course. And I know Jeffrey Ann did as well. And if if and when this comes to flourishion, that course will no longer be a, a requirement, which I think is something that needs to be. They have options. They can take a women's studies course or something along that line, but it's something within DEI. And my last point before I turn it over to Jeffrey Ann to expand on that is he actually requested that all state universities give him the budget and the number of personnel that are working within this space. And the reality is, is that less per, less than 1%, 1% of the yep. entire budget is spent within this field. So we already know exactly. that in the state of Florida, it's not valued. Yeah. Um, we see people who are put in positions who are not given actual power or funding. They just mm-hmm. prop someone up who looks the part yeah. um, and they put them in a role and that's problematic. But I would love for Jeffrey Ann to expand on that because she had that tenure at UNF and saw and started, I mean, honestly, which she did not state the first Institute on race and ethnicity within the university of Florida system. Yeah. Yeah. Jeffrey Ann. Cause I feel like a lot of this is attack. I, I feel like I was being personally attacked in some way if I had done so much work in this space. So definitely want to hear from you. Um, there's so much I want to say. I, I'll hit this. I, I want to. I don't want to lose. I, I can talk more about my experience at, at UNF and all that in a second. But one thing that we have not raised, which is really important to amplify, is why is this happening now? Right? Yeah. Why is this happening now? We know. This is happening now, partly because of, you know, some type of presidential aspirations. But like this is this is very we've seen this already in the 21st century with the election of Donald Trump, because Mm -hmm. that was backlash to eight years of Obama. What Mm -hmm. we're seeing right now is backlash to what happened three years ago, almost with the death of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor and others. Right. Um, There was so much momentum and there was this huge racial reckoning for justice, right? Mm -hmm. Which resulted in 
the starter programs that we're seeing right now at, at Glasgow Caledonian, the explosion of the DEI field in general across the board. I mean, every industry is, is saying, OK, we have to do better. We need to respond. We're going to bring on a, you know, someone at the C-suite level to lead our diversity efforts and initiatives. We're going to create new offices. You know, you know, after I left the University of North Florida, I, you know, walked into one of the, those inaugural roles for um, a school district here in, in, the, in the Cleveland, Northeast Ohio area. And what you see now is a response to that. That's backlash because there's we were doing so well. There's so much momentum. We're getting this ball rolling. You know, consultancies are exploding. Yeah. People want justice. That's important. And this is just kind of like the response to that. And I know that we've been talking a whole lot about the state of Florida, but let's let's be clear. Right. We you keep your timeshare. OK, don't move your timeshare to California somewhere else, because guess what? Florida is always ground zero for a lot of stuff, right? They're going to be other, you alluded to this already, they are going to be other states who are going to start to adopt this. Nikki Haley has already announced that she is going to be running for president. And one of her talking points thus far has been critical race theory is un-American. Okay, mm -hmm. so we have to think about how we sort of broaden and think about, you know, how we create solutions, not just for Florida, but for everywhere, right? I'm in the state of Ohio currently, you know, even though our governor isn't talking about that, just last year there was legislation in, at the state level around snuffing out critical race theory. I mean, th this is none of this stuff is new, and we have to be careful about just kind of placing it in Florida. Oh, that's the, the that's that stuff they do down in Florida. No, let's we need to be woke about that and recognize that this is a broader national push because right. people are feeling really uncomfortable about. I'm sorry, our country's bullshit and our history continually repeating itself, our black and brown brothers dying and sisters dying, right? I mean, it, it is just so much bigger than the state of Florida. And I don't want us to lose sight of that yeah. because this is a national movement, right? That Ron DeSantis has probably just had the courage enough to, to go ahead and do this, right? How many other governors or how many other lawmakers at the state level are thinking, hmm, Let's figure out how we can do this, but maybe not make it as polarizing. Let's make it a little bit more palatable. So right. I do think I, I want to insert that into the conversation because that's really, really important. What we're seeing now is the backlash to what we saw as change and movement and progression and that racial reckoning of 2020. This is this. Now we're being met with that backlash. I think yeah. that's what's happening. You know what? I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Sorry, hold on one second. I, I, I want to pick this in and I'll bring you in. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up because as I was doing the research on this, a lot of the foundation that DeSantis is using is from a group, I want to say it's out of Harvard, Yes, um, that is really trying to dismantle DEI. That was the, um, the article that was in the Chronicle of Higher Education. And one of the leading voices in that is a professor out of Georgetown yes. who was investigated for things that he said about Katanji. Uh, Brown when she was going up for Supreme Court and because he was investigated because of what he said he's now bitter I'm, I'm just saying it like that he's just bitter that he can't just say whatever he, he wants to say without being held accountable for it and because of that has now created this platform of um, higher education now is not about academia or knowledge or education it's about this ideology, this left-wing ideology and trying to indoctrinate 
So a lot of the terminology that's being used is coming from academics as a justification for why this needs to happen. So I'm glad that you pointed that out because it is happening across the board. Florida just happens to be the one that took up, you know, the mantle of, yes, we'll lead this. But there are, I, I want to say it's about 13 different states that are watching very closely because they are starting to do the same thing under the radar. So, Gardy, sorry about that. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, in some ways, you're 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 voicing the re the reality, right? That the anti CRT kind of legislation, um, you know, started um, as Jeffrey and I was saying, literally. Um, the same summer, right? The same summer that we saw the uprising for racial justice, that was a, a global phenomenon. Um, that fall, anti-CRT became a thing and a, and, a, and a concerted strategy. And in the same way, right, you're articulating the fact that, that in response to um, a Black woman being seated as Supreme Court justice, somebody who, who was... Um, misogynistic and, and exercising um, what we call misogynoir engaged in developing a movement to undo the kind of knowledge and the kind of um, work to bring inclusivity into our universities to ensure that folks who are black, who are Latinx, who are queer, who are who identify as women, who ha may have a disability, who are saying, "Hey, we're here, and our and our experiences should be part of this institution." All of a sudden, that's a little too much, right? And so, knowing and understanding that, and naming that is really important, you know, as we move forward into into challenging it, right? We have to we have to to your point know why and how. And in order to then devise a, a strategy for um, actually intervening and, and undoing and undoing what what is being done intentionally, the miseducation, the misinformation that and the and the the problematic way that CRT is being casted, and now DEI right yeah. within within as a larger um, kind of umbrella is is really intentional about really taking back the gains, right, of the last three years, taking back the gains, you know, since, um, you know, Rodney King, taking back the gains, you know, since the civil rights movement, since the Black Power movement, and so on and so forth. So every time something progresses, there's a movement to, to, to take back those gains. And, um, and we have to be steadfast in ensuring that that does not happen. You know, it's the, the flipping of terminology, Right. Where, you know, DEI for a while had such positive um, thoughts around it. And then it was quickly flipped to be this very negative thing that was um, excluding white men, particularly, specifically um, the woke movement. Right. Woke started out as uh, African-American colloquialism, quickly got flipped. And now as my. 86 year old aunt told me last night she was like that's the new n-word it's saying mm -hmm. the n-word without you know so if we're saying we don't like this woke ideology that's just another way of of really saying we don't like y'all um and so it's this again how do we counter 
what's happening in a way that is long-term because what I am worried about or what I'm, I'm thinking through is when I look at the blueprint, the four points that this Georgetown University professor has put out there, I actually agree with his four points. But in order to do that, it's the it's the work of DEI. So one example was getting um, rid of the the DEI monarchy or or whatever. What they didn't say monarchy. Um, the DEI. I can't remember the word that they used, but basically just the structure of it. And I'm like, you know what? That's actually the point. DEI professionals are actually trying to get organizations to a point where they don't need DEI professionals. Right. Right. Where it is such a part of the DNA of the organization that if mm -hmm. one person leaves, it doesn't all go away. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a part of how we function. So I was like, yes, I agree with that. But in order to do that, these are the things that need to be put in place. Um, wanting to get rid of ethnic specific programming. Great. So if we do that, what are we doing to make sure that everything that we do is equitable, that is um, representative of everyone, right? So it's like a different mindset. And let's get rid of nepotism because that's part of the problem too, right? Just because you're family doesn't mean that that's the right person for the job. And so there are some other things that will need to be dismantled in order for them to get that blueprint that they want. And I don't even think they realize that they are actually in alignment with the principles of diversity, equity, and inclusion. They're just making it such a divided um, ideology because they know that many of the their followers or supporters aren't educated in these areas and in these spaces. Yeah. And, 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 and I, oh. I'm sorry, go ahead, Tim. Oh, no, 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 and, and, no. Thank you, Guardy. I, I think that they're very much relying on that, that lack of education. Oh. Um, it, that That's the whole point is that people don't know and they're listening to these sound bites and they're going off of that. Um, I will say in the state of Florida too, it appears that our governor is trying to dismantle public education and the K through 12. And it's, it appears that he's going towards more of a charter school. Um, and I think that that is very intentional. Um, you know, we, we're seeing book banning in, in our mm -hmm. K through 12 school system. Books, you know, about Hank Aaron, you know, mm -hmm. books that we would not perceive as um, racially antagonistic, um, you know, but just the true history of how he was able to integrate you know, and break barriers. And he's taking away these books, you know, in any representation. And I just think it's it's really significant for people to understand that like there are conversations surrounding affirmative action. I need people to understand statistically white women have been the primary benefactors of that. Yes. So mm -hmm. when we talk about nepotism, you know, and we think about affirmative action, we don't wanna talk about white men, you know, and their 300 years of affirmative action. Um, or we don't want to talk about white women benefiting being 80% of the diversity, equity, and inclusion officers who do not experience the intersectionality that we bring to the table, not only as a woman, but as a woman of color. Or if I were a trans woman or a woman in the LGBTQI community, I'm a disabled vet. You know, I bring 
quite a a, a bit of of uh, intersectionality into that space, and he's working extremely hard to dismantle that. And I, it, it is just amazing to me. And again, just playing off the lack of knowledge when I see, you know, and just transparently when I see the flags, you know, for Ron DeSantis or I see the Confederate flags, they're typically in front of a, a rundown trailer you know, mm-hmm. or somewhere in a low income area where I know, you know, cognitively, they don't have the skills or the education academically to understand. And they're just basing it off of these sound bites. But I'm, I'm rather afraid of him because unlike the past president, and I know that he is definitely going towards, you know, running for president, he has a degree from Harvard, Yale. So yeah. that's much more that that gives me fear and pause versus the last one, you know? So I think that these are things that people need to recognize. Yeah, let's get rid of nepotism because when I see nepotism, it doesn't really impact my community. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're not really in those positions of power. Right. So let, let, let's do that. Let's let's actually vet people based on qualifications. African-American women are the number one, you know, most educated group in America, but we don't want to have conversations surrounding that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Guardian, I know you... No, no. I mean, it, <laughs> Dr. Hodo and Dr. Wilder already already spoke all the truth. And the only thing I would add is something that actually, as I was thinking about our session, that that came to me is really that anti-CRT, right, and and in this case, anti-DEI, is really just strategic propaganda aimed at mm. um, capitalizing on a centuries-old wedge, right, between poor white folk, yeah, and people of color. Yes. Plain and simple. And, and that and that wedge has been, you know, um, created on purpose and for the purpose of ensuring that those who, you know, control the means of production, those who are empowered, those who 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 need to, to wield power in a particular way can sustain that power and can and can keep those you know, folks who who would otherwise, you know, be brothers and sisters in struggle um, mm-hmm. together away from actually engaging in that work with one another. Yeah. Because the poor white folk, you know, who 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 don't benefit from from the the hyper capitalist ways of, you know, places like Texas, you know, for example, who will invite corporations in and lower wages and all these things are the same ones who who unfortunately, right, are voting for or should I say against um, you know, their their own interests. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole level of white supremacy that I don't, we don't have time to go into <laughs> today. But I think that's part of it, right? And why a lot of Latino um, and Latina voters also vote against their own interests or, you know, not necessarily seeing that because they align so much more with whiteness than with people of color, right? And the whole anti Blackness and how that plays out and how mm-hmm. it's seen, again, as propaganda, right? Of, you know, when you were saying that, what clicked into my mind was, you know, they're taking our jobs. Well, what jobs are they taking that you want? Because you're not going out picking strawberries. Those are the jobs that most of the, you know, migrant folks that are coming in are doing. Mm-hmm. But then you're mad when strawberries are, you know, high in price. You know, it's just they're not necessarily seeing or understanding economics behind it. And again, that goes back to education. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was yesterday, I want to say, 
earlier this week, um, I saw a chart of the 50 states and the levels of education by, by mm -hmm. those 50 states. And not by surprise, the, the South was at the very bottom. You know, the very bottom where I mean, a majority of the people had um, less than a high school diploma, I believe. Right. So, again, when you think about what's being said in, in the messaging, my background is in marketing as well. So I'm always thinking about messaging and what's being said and what's not being said in those messages. Um, when we talk about kind of poor whites, it's like, yeah, I'm aligning with my whiteness, but not necessarily understanding how much they connect with people of color in that struggle as well, too. And so there's there's all of that. Jeffrey, I want to get your voice back in here. Um, as we're thinking about this, looking at it from a more holistic standpoint, what can universities do to prepare themselves for this if it comes down the pike? So I think this is probably a good time for a commercial for this program, right? Yeah. So, um, so I, I've got two things that off the top of my mind. So you were talking earlier about, you know, the four tenants that folks are kind of trying to hang, hang on is like why we don't need DEI. But mm -hmm. if organizations really, truly want to kind of ensure that they are, um, you know, uh, you know, anti CRT policy proof, it becomes really important for them to elevate those beautiful words that are all in everyone's mission and vision, right? And to really ensure that inclusion, belonging, justice, equity, fairness, all of those lovely words really become embodied into the fabric of everything that organizations do, right? To the point where we are so equitable and fair and we look at everything through such a critical lens that we don't necessarily need a chief diversity officer to lead this work for us everyone understands how they can um, ensure that they are leading with equity in everything they do, whether it's financial decisions, whether it's facilities and grounds and operations, there, there is a way to do this, right? To ensuring that you are giving folks the capacity and building up and leveraging what they know to do to ensure that equity really is at the forefront of everything that we do in anyone's organization. The second piece, right, is to ensure that, um, you know, folks who want to do more and want to learn more and elevate their game and to really get grounded in this work, you know, if you want to move beyond that six-hour certificate that you received, get into these programs, right? We just launched a graduate degree program in DEI leadership. It is 36 hours. It is not something, 36 credit hours, excuse me. So it's not something that you can do overnight and pay $5.99 for and show off your badge on LinkedIn. No shade, no shade. Cause I've, I mean, we've all showed our badges on LinkedIn. I mean, that's what you do on LinkedIn. You floss, right? Right. But <laughs> if you really want to get steeped in this work, do the work and learn, get these degrees. So, you know, Institutions should be thinking about how they can incorporate DEI into their curriculum, right? Creating programs, right? You can't defund all the programs, right? You can't do that. So building more curriculum, building more, building capacity for organizations to really lead with equity, regardless of whatever that is, and ensuring that your curriculum, because, you know, people have been talking about the business case for diversity, equity, inclusion for a while, right? 
does your organization have you know, programs to train the next generation of DEI folks, regardless of what DeSantis is doing, regardless of what the folks in DC at this think tank are doing, DEI jobs are here to stay. They are the fastest growing jobs behind technology jobs, right? So we're going to still need to train folks in DEI because at some point, these certificates that folks are getting aren't going to be enough. You need actual training in this. This is just as important as your MBA. Um, you know, as other kinds of degrees. And so I think that's what that's, you know, as, as you know, DJ Khaled would say, these are the keys, right? These are two keys that we could really employ to ensure that we are, you know, um, foolproof from any type of BS policies that try to dismantle DEI. I love that. I mean, again, it goes back to it being part of the organization's DNA, Right. Yeah. Like, what does this look like in accounting? What does this look like in marketing? What does yeah. this look like in customer success? What does this look whatever the department is should have some type of um, connection to the business goals and DEI. And it should be measurable and people should be held accountable to it. Yeah. Right. It's not a nice to have. It is part of your organization's uh, KPIs. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, um, yes, I, I say that all the time. So thank you for for uh, saying that. Anyone else? Like what else? Go ahead, Gardy. Yeah, I, I think um, Jeffrey Ann spoke to a lot of great things, particularly as it relates to the need, right, to make sure that folks who are doing DEI work have not only the knowledge base necessary to do it well, but also the the tools, right, of the trade and and uh, the um, capacity to actually you know do it over time with an organization and across different organizations so that's why a program like ours is so important you know that being said i think across higher education and and you all are speaking to it in some ways folks need to be in the place of 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 reiterating the importance of DEI, not just because it's good for business, but because it's the right thing to do, right? If you're, if you're about education and educating all of the folks who come through your, you know, pearly white gates at the, you know, higher education, and, and you're in, and you're interested, right, as senior leaders, whether that's the, you know, the dean or the provost or the president, and making sure that your faculty, right, are able to um, feel a sense of belonging at your institution and feel that their voice matters and feel that their research matters. You want to make sure that different approaches to our academic work are being valued, supported, and heralded. And that means being sure that Black knowledge, right, is being valued and taught and actually, you know, put on the same playing field that other um, fields of knowledge are at our institutions. And the reality is we know that, unfortunately, Black studies departments, as, as you know, Africana studies, Black studies as a, as a young discipline, has continually and perpetually been underfunded, yeah. right, at universities and colleges, while at the same time, somehow, you know, the folks who are doing this work, despite, right, the lack of funding, continue to pull pull together and push forward brilliant scholarship and make major contributions um, to their respective fields. So 
we need to actually see more investment, right, in this space and a doubling down and a reclaiming that, hey, this work is important because we care about people. We care about, you know, humans feeling a sense that they belong at our institutions. That really is is one of the key things that that we need to reclaim. That DEI is not a bogeyman kind of um, movement. It's a movement for healing. It's a movement for care. It's a movement for liberation of all people. Right. So your your young child who is a young white man will find liberation through this work. Right. It's not about making somebody feel bad about who they are. Rather, it's about making sure that everyone cares about our human family and work toward improving it. Yeah, and, and can I just add to what Artie said? Um, I, I think it's relevant to already note, like historically we know at universities, if you are in African-American studies, typically you belong to another department. You don't belong, you know, so you're in sociology and, you know, you're part-time there and you're part-time in African-American studies, um, which, which can be very much an issue I found as I was doing my dissertation, because it's like, well, where does your loyalty lie, you know, in regards to when it's time for tenure? Not only are these programs underfunded, but people are often positioned, you know, within two departments, just like women will be in sociology and then gender studies, you know, and so they're 50-50 at each. And that's problematic in itself. And then we also see that when you publish as a scholar in journals that are predominantly viewed as African-American or ethnic studies, even if they're peer reviewed, they're not viewed the same when it comes time mm -hmm. for tenure. But our foreign colleagues and brothers and sisters, when they publish in journals that are, you know, within their country, they're viewed as top tier and peer review. So we already see inequities within higher ed with faculty when it comes to tenure and, and how that perception and how that process tends to work. And, and so I think that's an, and that's been going on for years, you know, you, that you see these faculty again, you know, so I'm in sociology and I'm in African-American mm -hmm. studies, so I'm in sociology or criminal justice and I'm in women's studies, but our, our white colleagues don't have to contend with that. And as faculty of color, automatically we're going to be approached by minority students at these predominantly white institutes where we're going to serve unofficially as their mentors and their sounding board. And guess what? Our white colleagues don't have to contend with that. They can go to work, they can do their classes, they can do their research, they can publish and they can go home. We are never going to turn away our students of color because we know what it's like to be the only or be the one of the only in a classroom and to need someone who looks like you as a sounding board to reaffirm and reassure that you, you, that you are in the right space and that you can do this because they're hearing so much negative um, commentary oftentimes from some of their faculty who are questioning, well, did you really write this? Or mm, those right. microaggressions they hear in the classroom. I'm so impressed with the way that you speak or, you know, mm. all of those other offhanded slights that happen daily in the classroom um, by these so-called, you know, highly educated um, academic professionals. And we believe that education provides enlightenment, but I've seen time and time again that it does yeah. not. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we could go on for forever. I want to do a little bit of a pivot and 
ask you all two questions. Um, one, the first part is how do you take care of yourself? You know, how do you fill your cup as you're doing this work? Because it is not mm. easy. And how can um, people find you right on, on social media or the best way for them to connect with you? So Gardy, I'll start with you. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Sasha, for having us. This um, has been an amazing um, conversation. Uh, in terms of how do I fill my cup, I have to be honest, I find um, connection, solace, um, replenishment through family, through connecting with my um, with, with my partner and, and my you know, stepdaughter, reaching out to my nieces and nephews, you know, video calling them and seeing what they're up to. Um, and my 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 siblings and things like that, and of course, you know, chill with friends and and finding time to just you know chill, um, engaging you know as much as as I as I can, and and um, you know in the practice of just breathing. So that that would be one of the key things. And in terms of reaching out, um, myself, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not. Um, I'm probably one of the only. Um, Guardi Gitos on LinkedIn. Uh, I also do consulting work um, as well as my colleagues. The thing that's special about our faculty is that we're all um, scholar practitioners. So you can find me at guardiquito.com. And, um, you know, beyond that, um, our, our email accounts at, um, at GCNYC. Thank you. Jeffrey Ann. Well, um, housewives, of Potomac <laughs> and Atlanta in that order. Um, football, and I'm very sad because like it's going to be a minute before we'll be able to watch any NFL or college football. But there is the draft coming up in April. Um, my babies, I have two girls um, and they always fill my cup, even if it's just, you know, with a hug. Uh, bar, I've gotten into doing bar, you know, like the exercising. Mm -hmm. And um, pedicures. That's that's how I fill my cup regularly with all of those things. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And how can folks get in contact with you? Oh, OK. Well, I know I'm the only Jeffrey and Wilder in the world. Um, so you can find me <laughs> uh, <laughs> on LinkedIn, um, Twitter, Medium, my website. Um, I'm there. Thank you. And Tammy. So uh, similar to Jeffrey Ann and Gardy, mine is family. Um, so my husband, my son, uh, my mom recently relocated to the area, my brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews. Um, another outlet for me is exercising. Um, mm -hmm. That's how e emotionally I could kind of work out some of those uh, frustrations that I have. Um, so that's really how I do it. And then I just like, I like to uh, relax, take vacations, you know, all inclusive, yes. two cups two fist as the, as the young folks say, <laughs> and, and just lay in the cabana and, and relax. And so that's really how I unwind. In regards to getting in touch with me, I, I will say, um, I got to plug my book. Uh, we recently came out with an academic textbook, How to Engage in Difficult Dialogue. Mm. Thank you, Jeffrey Ann. <laughs> how to Engage in Difficult Dialogue, Identity, Race, and Politics. It's available on Amazon. Uh, it's through Rutledge House. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, my consulting company is All Things Diverse. I am Tammy L. Hodo because oddly enough, there is another Tammy Hodo. Uh, 
So All Things Diverse, um, LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter at All Things Diverse as well. Wonderful. Thank you all for being a part of this conversation today. I mean, this was just the, ice, the tip of the iceberg because there's going to be so much to see and watch over the next few weeks and months and hopefully not years. But um, I, I wanted to start having this conversation because a lot of people aren't quite sure what's happening and the impacts of this or how they can start thinking about what they need to do to prepare themselves in case this comes down the pike. So thank you so much for joining me today. This has been absolutely amazing and I look forward to continued conversations with you all. And thank you all for watching this episode of DEI After Five, this special edition. Um, please continue to tune in. We will continue to have these conversations in addition to our regular DEI After Five on every Tuesday at 5.15 p.m. on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, have a good one.